We're going to be doing something a little bit differently this morning. This is going to be a prophecy workshop. Um, anxiety levels probably rise when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and prophecy, but we're going to lean in. I'm going to share some content and then we're going to give it a go. Um, there is no need for any anxiety. I'm not going to force anyone to do anything that they don't want to do, so don't worry about that. Um, but this is the text for today. Um, this is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Um, what does it look like for us as a community as we begin a new year to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, but particularly have this deep hunger to hear the voice of God? Because when we hear the voice of God, the kingdom tends to break in with a greater sense of force. Um, and that's what we're longing for. So let me start with a story to illustrate this. This is a story from a friend of mine, um, a church they lead this happened. There was a lady called Rihanna in the church. Rihanna was battling with cancer in her back um, and the church were praying for her on that journey. And one evening she has this really random but very specific dream. Now in the dream she senses God tell her to go to the town centre of where she lives. There was one Christian bookshop in the town centre. To go to the Christian bookshop to buy a Bible and in the front page of the Bible to write the name James B and then to wrap the Bible up as a present, to put it in her bag, to carry it round with her and at an opportune time God would tell her to give it to someone, right? That's a fairly specific dream, right? So she was kind of weirded out by the dream, phoned the pastor who's a friend of mine and said, look, I've had this crazy dream. There was so much detail in it. I have no idea what to do with it. She explained the dream. And my friend said to her, look, that, that could have been the wine, the cheese that you had the night before. It really could have been. But there's so much detail in that dream. It could be God. Like, so you might as well give it a go and see if anything happens. Worst case scenario is you're carrying around a Bible in your bag for a very long time, um, extra weight. But other than that, what have you got to lose? So she's like, great, I'm going to do it. So she wanders to this, this Christian bookshop. She buys a Bible on the front page. She writes the name James B. She wraps it up as a present, puts it in her bag and just continues to go about her day. Anyway, a few weeks later, she has a, an appointment to see a specialist consultant who's going to monitor the advance of the cancer in her back. And she was going to go with her doctor, a guy called Dr. Patel, to meet this consultant, Dr. Bradshaw. And they do a day of grueling tests. And at the end of the day, Dr. Bradshaw sits down with Rihanna and with Dr. Patel and says, look, we've done some tests and the results made zero sense to us. So we've done the tests again. And I, I still don't really know how to break this to you, but there is no cancer, no trace of cancer in your body, right? So Rihanna is incredibly excited, far more excited than you are in the room. Um, and she's like, yes, get in there. And Dr. Bradshaw basically says again, we just can't make any sense of this. I can't explain it to you. And Rihanna immediately says, well, I can explain it to you. My church have been praying for healing. We've seen other stories of healing. I believe God has healed me of the cancer. At that point, Dr. Patel chips in. He's like, you're a Christian. She's like, yeah. And he says, well, I'm a Christian too. And we've been praying for people for healing in our church. We've seen some supernatural healings. This is amazing. At this point, Dr. Bradshaw chips in and says, I'm absolutely not a Christian. Um, but a few weeks ago, something very similar happened to me. And when I drove home that night, I basically said to the God I don't believe in, God, if you're out there, um, if this happens again, you've at least got my attention, right? 
At that moment, Rihanna just has a brainwave, prompting of the spirit, right? He says, Dr. Bradshaw, can I ask you a personal question? What's your first name? And he says, oh, my name's James Bradshaw. And she's like, no way. I think I've got a gift for you. But before I give you the gift, can I tell you the story of a dream I had? Very bizarre. And she tells the story of the dream, hands over the present. He opens up the present, opens up the Bible, front page, James B. Right? Now, I wish I could tell you that story ended up with him on his knees, confessing Jesus as Lord. The story didn't land like that, right? But it is an unbelievable story of God's supernatural power to heal, right? But more than that, an incredible story of God speaking in a very natural way, in a way that enabled the kingdom to come rushing in. Now, do you want more stories like that in your life? I hope the answer is yes and amen. I'm longing for more of those stories in my life because the prophetic functions like a, a key opening a door. And when you open up the door, heaven breaks loose and the rule and reign of God breaks in. So we should eagerly desire all of the gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy. If you want more kingdom activity in your life, we should eagerly desire. So if you've got a Bible, for the three of you that actually brought a Bible with you, turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, others, you can turn your Bible on and go to 1 Corinthians 14. Um, and before I read this text, this beautiful text, two quick comments. Um, firstly, as you open up your Bibles, um, you'll notice that there's subtitles. These subtitles weren't part of the Greek manuscripts. They were added to make the, the scriptures more accessible, digestible to us, to break it into you know, chunks that we could digest. And I don't know what your subtitle is, but my subtitle for 1 Corinthians 14 is Intelligibility in Worship, um, which is remarkable because this is the most beautiful poetic passage about following the way of love and eagerly desiring the gifts. It's just incredible, like intelligibility in worship. That was a group of academics that, that need some help. Anyway, so ignore the, the subtitle. Um, the second thing I want to say is the context um, for this passage is there has been a misuse of the gifts in the context of the church in Corinth. And we may have stories in our own sort of upbringings if we've grown up in church of stories where the gifts of the Spirit, the prophetic and maybe other gifts were misused and caused some damage, right? Excess. Um, and Paul is speaking into that context, but we need to note this. The remedy for misuse is not disuse. That's happened in the church time and time again. There's been a misuse of the gift. The remedy must be disuse. And Paul says, no, nonsense. Where there's been a misuse of the gift, we need to articulate what proper use looks like because the prophetic is far too important for it to be disused in the church, right? So that's the context of this passage. Let's read 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are to mysteries by the Spirit. But those who prophesy speak to people for their strengthening, encouragement and comfort. Those who speak in a tongue edify themselves, but those who prophesy edify the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in tongues unless they interpret, so that the church may be 
edified. Let me pick out a few things from this passage and from other texts in Scripture about the Word of God. So this is the why and the how of the prophetic. Let me give you four reasons why the prophetic is so important. Number one, the words of God bring life. The words of God bring life. If you know the scripture, it opens up with an epic story of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be, there we go. Let there be light. And there was, very good. So when God speaks, he acts. You cannot separate the spoken word of God from the activity of God. When he speaks, the kingdom breaks in. The rule and reign of God breaks in. Whenever the prophetic is released in a church, there is a constant invitation into the activity of God. So when God speaks, our excitement level should rise. When people say to me, Pete, I've been praying and I think I have a prophetic word for you. Something in my spirit goes, yes, very high pitched like that. Because there's excitement, like, because if God's about to speak something over me, it means there's going to be a release of kingdom activity in my life and my excitement levels rise. When God speaks, he acts, point one. Point two, when God speaks, he leads and directs. Think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters, right, to green pastures. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He leads and he directs. Now, we're living in a moment where there is so much uncertainty and there is a longing for clarity in the midst of the confusion. So many of us are like, Lord, would you speak a word? I'm drifting. I don't know where I'm going. Would you lead and direct me? The prophetic brings that sense of leading and directing of God. Um, how does this shepherd in Psalm 23 lead and direct the sheep? Right? Jesus says this, My sheep know the sound of my voice. Jesus is basically saying, if you want me, and he names himself as the good shepherd, if you want me to lead you, then you need to become super familiar with my voice. Now, everyone listening to this knew that shepherds had a certain call and the sheep that belonged to that shepherd could distinguish this call from all the other calls of the shepherds and then would gather to that shepherd. Now, I'm familiar with this because we have a dog called Rosie, cockapoo, lockdown purchase, absolutely best decision we made. Um, And when we go for walks, I've got a very particular whistle. So I'll say, Rosie, right, notice, Rosie, and Rosie will come running. She knows the sound of my voice, sheep know the sound of the shepherd's voice. Jesus basically says, you should be super familiar with my voice. And when you're super familiar with my voice, I'll be able to lead and direct you, even through really dark valleys that feel like death. I'll be able to lead you through moments if you can hear my voice. And I'll lead you to green pastures and still waters where your souls are replenished. Listen to these words, Isaiah 30. 
Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. There is an invitation for the people of God to have that as a normative experience, like a voice from above, just leading and directing them. We're going to explain more of that. Number three, lifting it from this passage that we've just read. Um, through the prophetic, God strengthens, encourages, and comforts his people. Now, COVID has hit us all hard. We are all, to varying degrees, processing trauma of just what we've walked through and what we're continuing to walk through with the cost of living crisis and so much uncertainty. We're, we're more fragile, most of us, maybe all of us, than we were a few years ago. We're all a bit weaker. There's something that happens when God speaks. He strengthens the core of your being. How many of you right now want a word where you just feel like you're strengthened within, like I do? Secondly, through the prophetic, we're encouraged. In other words, courage is put back in the core of our beings. When you are at your most courageous, you're going to do remarkable things. Fear isn't going to hold you back. You're going to step into everything that God has for your life. If you operate with courage in the core of your being, the prophetic puts courage in the core of the people of God. Like one word from above and it's like, oh, God knows me. He knows what I'm going through. He's calling me into something like, yes, that begins to rise within you. We begin to live by faith. This is why Paul is saying, you should eagerly desire this. This isn't like a luxury for the, the crazy charismatics. No, this is for all of the people of God if they want to operate with strength and with courage. And through the prophetic, we experience comfort. Now, when you're hurting, when you're feeling fragile, there's something incredible, incredibly powerful about someone really close to you, drawing alongside you and embracing you, right? Like that human connection, that empathy is an incredible gift. There's something that goes even beyond that when that comfort comes from above, from a perfect heavenly father. Like, think of the word comfort. It's a compound word, two words shoved together. Com, meaning with. Um, fort, from the verb, Latin verb, meaning to, to strengthen. Like, comfort means strength with. Like, when you are struggling, when you are feeling and experiencing pain, when someone sits alongside you, that gives you some strength because there's strength with that person. When that person is God Almighty, right, whose arm is not too short to save, that is strength with you in the midst of adversity. This is why Paul is saying, like, you should eagerly desire this gift. Strengthens, it encourages, it comforts. Point number four, and this comes later in the passage of 1 Corinthians 14. Through the prophetic, God reveals himself to those outside of the church. In other words, it's an incredible evangelistic gift. So here's the, the four things. His words bring life when he speaks, he acts. Through the prophetic, he speaks to us in ways that lead and direct us. He strengthens, encourages and comforts us. And he reveals himself to those outside of the church. We should lean in and eagerly desire. How does God speak? If that's the why, how does God speak? Um, and we need to start by saying that ultimately God speaks through Scripture, the revealed Word of God. Um, we hear the voice of God in the Word of God. We know the will of God through the Word of God. 
Because Jesus is the Word made flesh. In Jesus, we see the will of God fully revealed to us and we find Jesus in the Scriptures. This is why we should try and develop a daily practice of living, dwelling in the Scriptures, meditating day and night on the Scriptures. Martin Luther, the Reformation theologian, he described the Scriptures as the cradle where we find Christ. Remember the Christmas story, the shepherds, the magi, they make their way to this stable. And as they peer into the stable, they see God incarnate. They encounter Christ. Martin Luther basically says, if you want to encounter Christ, you need to come to the cradle, the scriptures where we find Christ. So God speaks to us ultimately through his written word, his revelation to us. But he also speaks through the gift of prophecy, like whispers that guide and strengthen and encourage and do all the things I mentioned earlier. Now, there is a wing of the church that would, would basically challenge this and basically say, this is the full revealed word of God. Beyond this, God doesn't speak. Now, this thinking is known as cessationism. And it goes something like this. The early church needed a, like a power surge to get some momentum so that the revolution could get going. It needed signs and wonders, the prophetic, the gift of tongues, supernatural healings, this power surge to get the thing going. But in the fourth century, a guy called St. Augustine with his buddies, they had a council where they decided what books would be in the scriptures and what books wouldn't make the cut. That was called the closing of the canon of scripture. And from that point on, we don't need the power surge. We don't need the signs and wonders, the prophetic, the tongues, the gifts of healing. We have the word of God. That's all we need. And therefore, all the other gifts began to dry up in the fourth century. Now, I would name that as heresy, but I want to articulate why I believe it's heresy. Three main reasons why. Um, the third one's the most important, but let me start with two other. Number one, experientially, it's flawed. For me to buy into cessationist thinking would force me to deny what I've seen and heard with my ears and with my eyes, right? I've seen people supernaturally healed. I can't deny that. And I've seen the prophetic land in people's lives in such a way that brings about remarkable life. I can't deny that, right? My dad, this is decades and decades and decades ago, um, trained at a theological college um, before he got ordained in the Church of England. And just before he studied at this college, he went on a mission trip to Africa. And on that mission trip, he saw blind eyes opening and deaf ears opening and the lame beginning to walk. In other words, all the stuff you read of in the Gospels, in the New Testament. And then he came back and started theological college where they taught cessationism, that none of that stuff was for today. And he basically had to challenge his lecturers. He's like, I've just been like in Africa and I've seen all of the signs and the wonders. I've seen all of the supernatural. You're basically asking me to deny what I've seen. So I've got two options, either complete denial of what I've seen, or I have to question this theological framework. And he began to question the theological framework on the basis of Scripture, which we're going to do in a moment. 
Second reason I think it's really unhelpful teaching is I think it's philosophically flawed, right? We believe in a God who exists in relationship, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from the very beginning of the story, he's walking and talking with humanity, right? And then right the way through the Old Testament, he sends prophets to speak to his people. And then in the New Testament, God takes on human flesh and he walks and he talks to us. If you fast forward to the end of the story, heaven and earth become one. God makes his dwelling place with humanity, not us ascending to some sort of disembodied bliss. No, God coming down and walking and talking to his people. The indication you get is that God really loves to be amongst his people and he likes to talk. He really likes to talk and he really likes to listen. Like relationships, and, and our God is a relational God, right? Relationships require really good communication. Like it helps B and I in our marriage every so often to talk. Not all the time, as I keep saying, but from time to time, I'm obviously joking, but from time to time, it's really good for us to talk. It's hard to experience intimacy with distance and it's hard to experience intimacy without communication. It makes no sense that this God who desires relationship who walks and talks with his people in the fourth century says, I think I've said everything I need to say. All the best. I'll see you when I return. Like it, it, it philosophically makes zero sense to me. But the most important reason is on the basis of scripture, our highest authority. So um, if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Love never fails, but there, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Mm. This is a key text for the cessationists. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. The point being is there will be a moment where this stuff passes away, right? For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, and if you've got a Bible, underline the word completeness, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. So the big question here is, what is Paul referring to when he talks about completeness? Like, is he talking about the fourth century, the closing of the canon of Scripture? Is that the moment where prophecies dry up, tongues cease? That's the question we're asking. Let's keep reading. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. And I'm going to emphasize some words here just so you get the drift. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I fully am known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Emphasis. Now in a really annoying voice, then, now, then, now. What is the now, what is the then? Like Paul is writing this from the context of the first century, writing to the church in, in Corinth. He's, he's basically talking about now as his moment as he's writing it. What's the then? The moment when completeness comes. And Paul makes it really clear. Then I shall see him face to face. Is that a reference to the fourth century? Well done. No, absolutely not. It's, it's the moment when Christ returns, right? Like the Revelation 21, Revelation 22, end of the story. Heaven and earth reconciled. Like God sitting down on his throne saying, behold, I'm making all things new. Everything restored to how it was in the beginning where there was no sin, no sickness, no suffering. Humanity fully, fully alive. 
We won't need gifts of healing in the new creation because we'll all be whole. There won't be sickness. We won't need the prophetic as a gift because we'll be walking and talking with God. So, so Paul is saying, now, then, now, then, the emphasis also being, now you really need these gifts. Like then, you won't need them anymore, but now you really need to eagerly desire. Don't push this to one side. This is what the crazy charismatics do. No, this is what the people of God do if they want to be fruitful in kingdom ministry, right? They are a temporary necessity. We won't need them in the new creation, but they are a necessity, so we should be leaning in. Okay, so that's the, the how, um, let's get really practical before we have a go. I think, and this is mainly down to personal experience, there are three stages to the prophetic, right? Revelation, interpretation, application. Revelation, interpretation, application. So revelation. God speaks and he speaks through our senses. He's given us five senses. We've been designed that way. So it makes sense that God would speak through these senses, right? So any idea you have that God speaks through kind of thunder, lightning, hear ye, hear ye, thus the Lord saith unto thee, speaking the King James Version, like push that to one side. God speaks through your senses in such a natural way, you could question whether it could ever be supernatural, beyond the natural. It's like thoughts dropping into your mind, a verse that comes to mind, an impression, for some a smell, maybe a taste, maybe feeling something in their body, right? So natural that you could dismiss it, like a dream about buying a Bible and writing James B in it. Imagine if that dream had been dismissed, right? Or missed out on kingdom activity had that been fully dismissed, right? So God speaks through our senses. Let me give you some examples then. So I um, took a trip, B and I took a trip of some leaders to Austria um, to do an Alpha weekend. We heard about Alpha earlier. Now the Alpha weekend is a moment where you ask the question, is it possible to experience God by his spirit? The rest of the the journey is, is really looking at some of the intellectual foundations for faith. But this is an opportunity to ask, can you experience God by his spirit? And we did a chunk of teaching to about 100 folk in Salzburg. Um, And as part of that weekend, the organiser, Lorenz, said, look, a lot of these parents have dragged teenagers along to the conference. We found out that the teenagers absolutely do not want to be here. Um, So we wondered if the team from the UK could just do one session for the teenagers on anything that would be remotely interesting to teenagers, right? So with the adults, we were doing the gifts of the Spirit, hearing the voice of God, being filled with the Spirit. And I was like, well, what could we talk to teenagers about that would be really engaging? And there were two options, sex, because teenagers are always interested in sex. We could talk about sex, or we could talk about the gifts of the Spirit, which is what this conference is about. I was like, well, why don't we do that? So I basically did a 10-minute version of this talk, an intro into the person of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And then I said to the team, we're going to give it a go. And and we, as like four or five from London, we're going to prophesy over the teenagers. So I did the talk. Zero engagement, no one listening. I had a good time. Um, and at the end of the talk, I said to the teenagers, we're going to now give it a go. And, and the sort of four or five of us lined up and I said, we're going to have a minute. We're going to ask God to speak. And then we're just going to speak out any words we sense the Lord would want to say over the room. Now, just being really honest, when you're leading a moment like that, that one minute silence is terrifying. It's a moment where you really begin to beg God. Like, God, 
do not humiliate me. You, you've said in your word, those who trust in you will not be put to shame. Like, if you put me to shame in a moment like this, I'm not doing this again, right? You need to speak prophetically. So I'm trying to listen whilst in an argument with God. Um, and then at the end of the minute, I say to the team, like, did anyone get, like, anything, you know, for anyone in the room? And this guy, Rainer, who was part of the church, we were part of, um, called St. Mary's back then, um, he said, I think I got something. And he basically said, I think there's someone in the room that you've got a maths exam this next week. You're terrified about it. And God wants you to know he's going to go into the maths exam with you. And as he said it, my heart sank. I was like, oh, Rainer, you've gone way too specific (laughs) so early on. If you go general, it can't be wrong. (laughs) If you say, I see a picture of a shower and God wants to shower his blessings upon you, how could that possibly be wrong? I get a picture of an apple. I think God wants you to know you're going to be fruitful in life. Brilliant. It can't be wrong, but that can actually be wrong. Anyway, at the back of the room, this kind of 16-year-old, like beefy guy, um, basically shouts something out and tension enters the room. It's a moment of confrontation. And he basically says to Rainer, who told you about the maths exam? Like that. It was like, wow, this is tense. Who told you about the maths exam? Like that. So I basically take the mic and be like, interesting. That talk I gave that no one was really listening to... (laughs) It was really about how God speaks through natural ways to, you know, strengthen and encourage and cover it. Might be that he might be speaking to you if you have a maths exam. Anyway, we end up in this dialogue and then others in the room start giving prophetic words that are landing in the room. And at the end of that session, there, there is so much curiosity in this room that they basically say to Lorenz, who's organising the conference, is like, we want to go and be with the adults for this evening session, which is about how can we be filled with the Spirit? Like, we want more of this. What's going on? So that evening, did a talk, welcomed the Spirit. Um, and during the ministry, Lorenz comes and gets me. And he's like, Pete, Pete, come and look at this. And he points to the six year, 16-year-old who's in the corner of the room, like hands out, receiving the Spirit, absolutely sobbing his heart out. Two adults praying over him. And Lorenz said, you see the two adults? That's his mum and dad. He's just given his life to Jesus, asking to be filled with the Spirit. And here's the story that you won't know. The week before this conference, that kid has been walking through a really dark time. He tried to end it. He jumped off a building at his school. Um, miraculously didn't harm himself, didn't even break a bone in his body, but his mum and dad have been beside themselves. They basically said, let's just bring him to the conference and pray he encounters Jesus. And he's in the corner of the room receiving the Spirit of God, giving his life to Jesus. Aren't you grateful? Rainer took a risk on that word. Like an impression. I think someone might have a mass exam. You could dismiss that in a heartbeat but we'd miss out on the inbreaking of the kingdom of God because when we partner with God, all of heaven breaks loose. Let me give you another story. A friend of mine um, who's at a conference doing something similar, prophesying over the room, um, they were waiting and the, the guy, Bruce, who was facilitating the, the conference, basically asked this lady, could you stand and we're going to prophesy over you as a kind of like workshop. Um, So this lady stood, my friend was on stage listening like, Lord, what do you want to say to that that lady? My friend, Greek Greek Cypriot. Um, And as he was waiting, this Greek word popped into his mind, skadula. Skadula means excrement. That's not the word you want to have in a prophetic moment like that. So he basically says to God, I I can't give that word. 
Like, that's really offensive. I'm not giving that word. So he tries to think of some other words that he could give. Um, and the more he's trying to think of something else, listen to God, the more skadula, skadula, skadula. He can't shake it. So the guy organizing it, Bruce, basically turns to my friend and says, did you get anything? And he's like, oh, Lord, please return right now. But he, he says over this lady, he says, oh, I, I, I might have got this totally wrong and I feel really embarrassed, but I, I sense the Lord want to say over you that you're not a skadula, right? And as he says it, she breaks down and she starts weeping, right? So Bruce can see that something's really landed in the room. This is a coaching environment. It's a safe environment. And once this lady has stopped sobbing, he says to her, can I just ask what's going on? Because clearly that word's gone pretty deep. And she basically says, in my first marriage, I was married to a very, very abusive man. And his nickname for me was my skadula, my, my piece of excrement. And he would command me around the house, go to the kitchen and get me his food, my skadula. Go and dot, 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 my skadula. And she said, I heard that day in, day out for years. To the point where internally that became my script. I believed I was a piece of skadula. So to hear God in a moment like this basically reveal the one thing my heart most needs to hear, you're not a skadula. That's the most incredibly healing thing I could ever hear. And then people began to gather around and pray and she received the Holy Spirit and began to experience some genuine and very deep healing. Aren't you grateful that he just took a risk on that word? Risky word. You have to bite yourself. Um, risky word, but all of heaven broke loose. Here's two rules that we need to be aware of when we prophesy. Number one, we prophesy in proportion to our faith. So the more you do this, the more you grow in confidence, right? The more you prophesy, the more you believe that I could get it wrong, but if it is Lord, something incredible could happen, right? And when you operate with higher levels of faith, you have more courage to keep going for it, to keep going for it, to keep going for it. So we prophesy in proportion to our faith. Faith is like a muscle. When we exercise it, it grows. Second rule, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Like we don't know fully right now. Even your closest friends, nearest and dearest, you don't know fully what they're going through, right? We know in part. And when we prophesy, we only prophesy in part, right? God gives us something and we step out with that something and allow God to move. But that means we prophesy with great humility that we could get it wrong because we know in part and we prophesy in part. So when we prophesy, we don't say, hear ye, hear ye, this is what the Lord wants to say to you. It's like, hey, I've got a sense that the Lord might want to say this to you with great humility, knowing that you could have got it wrong, right? And if we operate with great safety with this gift, then what harm can come, right? When you give it with really good intentions, with the humility that it might be wrong. So first stage, revelation. Second stage, interpretation. When an impression comes, a picture, a thought, there is a bit of work to do. Lord, what are you trying to say through that impression? This is what it says in Numbers chapter 12. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord, right? So if you're not Moses, which I think is most people in this room, if you're not Moses, the prophetic will sometimes feel unclear and a bit like a riddle. It's like an impression. It's a sense. You're like, Lord, thank you for that word. Can I ask, what are you trying to say 
through that word. And it might be you just get the revelation, but someone in the room gets the interpretation. Don't get the revelation and be like, thank you, God. I'll take it from here. Thank you for that impression. I'll do the interpretation. Um, don't fly solo, right? Revelation, interpretation. Um, and then the final stage is application. For those receiving a prophetic word, you've got a, a moment of discernment of like, is this from the Lord? His four rules. Number one, does it support scripture? God would never speak through the prophetic in a way that would contradict what he's revealed through his scriptures, right? So does scripture support it? Number two, does it strengthen, encourage and comfort you? If it triggers any sense of condemnation or any sense of shame, you can dismiss it. That is not the voice of your father right? That's how the enemy speaks, with lies and condemnation. God would never speak in a way that triggers condemnation or shame. Does this strengthen me? Sometimes God will speak in a way that disciplines, because he disciplines the ones that he loves and challenges. But does it strengthen? Does it encourage? Does it comfort? Number three, does it fit your circumstances? God's given you a mind, the ability to reason, use it, right? If it doesn't fit, then feel free to dismiss it or put it on the shelf for another time. If God spoke to me in such a way through someone um, and said, someone said, look, I've got this prophetic sense that a dance ministry is going to kick off around you and you're going to be at the centre of it. I, that would bring joy to me, right? But I would probably know with the use of reason that my dad dancing brings great joy to my family, um, but beyond the family, not so much. So it's very unlikely to be me, right? It's just a use of reason. Okay, and number four, would others affirm the prophetic word? We exist in community, like friends that are a great source of counsel. If you're given a prophetic word and you're wrestling to discern, is this the voice of the Lord? Why don't you say to your friends, hey, I've been given this word. I'm trying to discern, is this the Lord? What do you think? If they're all like, wake up, absolutely. Like, yes, then take that seriously. If they're like, what? No way. You know, take that seriously. So with that said, we're going to give it a go. Um, I've done something that I would normally not do. I've forgotten to ask three people to be volunteers. So I'm, I'm going to lean into some people that I know really well so that, that that avoids too much pain. So can we have the three stools? Can we, Rich, are you happy to put one here, one in the middle, one here? And I'm... Okay, yeah. So, Emmy, are you happy? Fantastic, there wasn't a shake of the head. So do you want to come? Joe, um, Joe Carter was... Oh, there you are. You're over there. You've moved seats. Brilliant. Um, and Sabao, any chance you'd be up for it? Oh, there we go. You're amazing. You can tell me off afterwards. Um, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a minute where we're going to be still. Now, when you prophesy, really important, you keep your eyes open, right? Often you'll see things in the natural... Yeah, we're prophesying so, so sorry. We're prophesying over these guys. I don't know if you guys were panicking that you were going <laughs> to prophesy over the room. Good, good. Yeah, I'll refine this for the 3 p.m. service. Um, we're going to prophesy over you. You're not going to prophesy over the room. Okay, so brilliant. So for us prophesying, um, like keep your eyes open. Are you observing something in the natural that might actually be God saying, no, there's something beyond just the natural that I want to speak into. So keep your eyes open. Um, this is what I'd encourage you to do, particularly if you're new at this. Choose one. Have a look at all three. Just choose one. Are you drawn to one particular person as you're waiting? 
Ask the question, am I drawn to one? If so, just ask the Lord, what am I drawn to? Why, Lord, are you sort of like bringing my attention to that one? And then just say, Lord, what do you want to say? Now, just create a safe environment. Remember the rules, strengthen, encourage, comfort, right? So don't go beyond that. If your word doesn't do those three, three things, just leave it. Um, we're not going to prophesy over like births, marriages, you know, all of those things. That's a very high risk strategy. Um, so we're just going to ask the Lord to speak. And then we'll have a moment of stillness. Now, if you've never done this before, right, this would be my encouragement, right, is just say, Lord, what what do you want to say to me for one of these? And even if you don't do it out loud, when someone else gives the exact word that you were about to give, you'll be like, I do hear the voice of the Lord. It can be a really encouraging thing. So rather than ruling yourself out in a moment like this, rule yourself in. Let's everyone give this a go. So Lord, we thank you that you speak to us ultimately through your word, but also through this gift. And we ask now that you'd come and speak words that strengthen, encourage and comfort about 